Okay, so we're coming to part three in our series on Revelation. Seven letters to seven churches. In part one, we looked at the author, John the Apostle, from Revelation chapter one. And then on the second session, we considered this magnificent picture, magnificent revelation of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, 12 through to 20. And this morning, we're going to come to the first letter, the letter that uh, John writes to the church in Ephesus. There's so much in Revelation 2 and 3. There's so much to notice, there's so much to talk about, but it's not the purpose on a Sunday morning to go into these verse by verse. I want to do that in um, the Digging Deeper series that I release every Wednesday following the sermon. And if you want to keep in touch with that, you need to go to Harvest Church Croydon on YouTube. And there you'll find under the playlist, you'll find the Digging Deeper series. And part one and part two are already there. This sermon I'm dealing with today, part three, will be there this coming Wednesday. And that's when we go into the detail of the lampstands, the seven stars, the Nicolaitans and so forth. We're not going to do that today. So let's consider the passage first. Let's have a read. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Father, we ask that you would give us insight into your amazing word and that you would give to us an application where we can put your word into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse I want to consider this morning to share with you is verse 4. Jesus says to this church in Ephesus, 
yet I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. If you were to turn to Acts chapter 19, there you would find the story of how Paul first arrived in Ephesus. And right from the word go, he has an amazing impact on the scene there. Uh, some young men are baptised in the spirit under his influence and speak in tongues. He goes to the local synagogue and he unfolds the scriptures for three months, uh, proclaiming to them that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been looking for. He's kicked out of there and he moves next door to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And there he lectures, it says, for two years, every day for two years. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's discipling, he's mentoring, he's asking questions, he's giving answers, he's building up that church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major city of its day. It's prominent in Asia, it's a commercial centre, it's a business centre, but it's also a religious centre. Uh, in particular, the goddess Diana is worshipped there in her temple, but there's all sorts of magic works and superstitions going on as well. And in fact, when the early believers give their lives to Christ, um, they have a bonfire in public where they bring all their magic books and they say, we don't need these things anymore. We reject all occult in Jesus' name. And they made a great bonfire and they burned their books. Uh, when Paul has moved on, he sends Timothy, the Apostle Timothy, to go and minister in Ephesus. We have one of his letters to the church of the Ephesians in the New Testament. So we know quite a lot about this church, but here we are maybe 40 years on from those amazing days. Uh, Paul is long gone and John is now writing to this church. Father God has given a message to Jesus. Jesus has passed on that message to an angel. An angel is now passing that on to John. John is writing it down and he's now sending it to the seven churches and for our purpose to Ephesus this morning. What does the Lord have to say to the church in Ephesus? Well, he commends it. He says you're doing well. In verse 2, part B, he says, I know that you can't tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. In, in verse 6, he says, you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a Gnostic sect. And I'll say more about that in digging deeper. So the Lord is saying to the church in Ephesus, you have a doctrinal purity. You have an orthodox understanding of truth and you have guarded that truth. You are a Bible-based church and it's no surprise bearing in mind the amount of input that Paul had there in the early days. 
So the Lord commends them for that. He also commends them for personal endurance. Again in verse 2, part A, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. In verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So doctrinal purity, personal endurance, and yet... There is a problem in verse 4. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Wow. You have forsaken your first love. This is being written down and delivered by the apostle of love, John himself. John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. John records that magnificent verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. In John's first epistle, he says, I write to your church, I'm writing a new commandment, that you love one another because love is of God. God is love. And you have forsaken your first love. Jesus himself, when asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So what's happened to this Ephesian church 40 years later? Have they grown complacent? Have they grown hard? Is there a new generation being raised up in that church that doesn't love like they used to? And anyway, what do you mean you have forsaken your first love? You see, there are at least two ways that we can read this. Firstly, you have forsaken the prime object of your love and replaced it with something else. You have forsaken what you used to love in order to love something else. The object of your love has changed. Is that what John is saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? You have a love of doctrine. You have a love of teaching. You have a love of orthodoxy you are a hard-working church but that is not enough because you used to love me you used to love me says Jesus and maybe now church has gotten away it happens so easily. You know, someone here is leading worship and, and uh, they love playing and they research the latest worship songs and they practice them. 
and uh, they get them right. They call the worship band in and we have a great rehearsal. Then we have a prayer meeting asking that God would break out in our worship, at our worship times. And yet that worship leader may be far away from Christ. He's in love with his worship leading. Here's an elder, he's in love with his elding. Here's a deacon, he's in love with his deaconizing. Here's a Sunday school teacher, and uh, he's in love with his Sunday school teaching ministry. Man or woman, the ministry that you are involved in is not as important as the Lord you serve. He is the Lord of the ministry. And, you know, if, if you're wondering, am I like that? Well, it's easy tested. Just take the ministry away from that person. Just ask that person to lay that, lay that ministry down and see what's there underneath. See how offended they would become. See how lost spiritually they would be without their ministry. You used to love me. So is it, is it a love for Christ that they've lost? Is it a love for the church? You know, you come into a new church. Here's somebody coming in and oh, they love the worship. They love the teaching in this place. It's amazing. They love the fellowship. Such lovely people. And they love the program that's going on. Can't get enough of it. They even love the coffee. And then a few months, maybe years on, well, they still love the church, but, and I'm okay with the program, but, and all of a sudden things start to creep in and they start to lose their love for the brothers and sisters that they're joined to. What is it? that they've replaced it with. Demas is an interesting character. He's mentioned, I think, three times in the New Testament. He's mentioned once with Paul. He's mentioned a second time as being a fellow worker with Paul. And then in 2 Timothy 4.9, when Paul is uh, reaching the end of his ministry, he says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He's replaced his love for the Lord and his love for the kingdom and his love for the ministry and his love for the church with the love of this world. Slowly, gradually, the world has become a more and more attractive place. The world is getting more and more and more of his finances. The, the world is getting more and more and more of his time. His friendship circle is increasing of people who are out there in the world and his friendship with believers is diminishing. You used to love me, but you've forsaken your first love. Or here's a second possibility. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken the kind of love you had and replaced it for a different kind of love. In other words, you don't love 
the way you used to. That all-consuming ferocity of love you once had is now watered down. The quality of your love has changed. Or as J.B. Phillips says in his translation, you do not love me as you did at first. Your love is still in the right place, but the fire is going out with the passing of years. How sad, how tragic to think of how you used to be, that that passion is not there. You don't love me. I have this one thing against you. You don't love me the way you used to love. Well, what do we do in the light of a devastating verdict like that? How does a church react? If it's impinging on me, if this word is ringing true in my life, how do I deal with this? What do I do? Well, it's very simple. Jesus tells us what to do. He says in verse 5, Remember the height from which you have fallen. So the first thing to do is to remember. To think back. How did it used to be? What was my walk with Jesus like in the beginning? When I, when I was in love with Jesus for the first time. How I hungered for the word of God. How I wanted to learn more and more, how I enjoyed worship and being in the presence of God's people, how I was involved in mission or in ministry. I wanted to grow. I was so in love with Jesus. I was so in love with his church. I was so in love with kingdom life. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Secondly, Repent. Old-fashioned word, repent. In other words, turn around. I've got a book to show you. Uh, this book is entitled, I've Forgotten Edward. And it's a precious book because my little girl, uh, she's not so little now, but when she was little, we used to love reading this book together, story of a, a little boy going out with his mother into the village with his pushchair and halfway to the village he suddenly remembers, I've forgotten Edward, his teddy, his favourite teddy, I've forgotten Edward and all the way he, down into the village he's thinking about Edward. They called first at the greengrocer. Hello, Sam. Cheer up. Have an apple. But Sam didn't want an apple. He wanted Edward. Next day they went into, sorry, next they went into the baker shop. You look fed up, Sam, said the baker lady. What's to do? I've forgotten Edward, said Sam. Deary me, said the baker lady, have a bun. But Sam didn't want a bun. He wanted 
Edward. And eventually he makes his way home and he is reunited with Edward again. Why, why, why do I mention this story? Not so that you can go out and buy it, although it's a good buy. I say these things because Jesus did not say, you've forgotten your first love. He says, you've forsaken your first love. There has been a deliberate recognition of what you are doing. I'm not bringing this to your attention and you're going, oh my word, I didn't know that. As I'm bringing it to your attention, you are saying, yes, you're right. You're right. I've forsaken my first love. I need to take responsibility. I need to take ownership of this. I need to say it's not your fault, God. It's not the church's fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Oh, Lord, if you knew the way that the church have treated me, if you knew the way that that brother or sister spoke to me. No, 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 no. You have forsaken your first love and you need to repent. You need to remember. You need to repent. And then you need to reboot. You need to refresh. Repent and do the things you did at first. You need to get back to the first page. Get back to where you used to be. And if you ask me the question, well, Ronnie, what is it I need to get back to? I want to say to you, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what you left. I don't know specifically what the Lord is saying to you. I may know what he's saying to me, but what is he saying to you? He may be saying, I want you to get back to Father, to loving Father God. I want you to get back to Jesus. I want you to get back to the Holy Spirit and his gifts and his fruit and his action in your life. He may, say, may be saying, I want you to get back to church. Get over all the problems in the church. They're none of your concern. I want you to get back there, back into the fellowship of the saints for your sake. Maybe he's saying, I want you to get back to reading your Bible, not just flicking through the pages, but actually studying it. I want you to get back to fellowship, back to breaking bread together. I want you to get back to prayer. I want you to get back to mission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to uh, get back to ministry. Not just receiving, 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 but giving, giving, giving. Remember, Repent, reboot, or repercussion. If you don't repent, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. The voice of Christ is uncompromising. There is no church in Ephesus now. In fact, there's no Ephesus to speak of. That candlestick was removed long ago. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is the serious news. That is the bad news. Here's the good news. Restoration. Restoration. In verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in, the, in, is in the paradise of God. That tree of life first mentioned in Genesis, way back in the early chapters when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned and they were removed from the tree of life. That tree of life is available this morning to each and every one of us to receive the life that he gives to us and to look to the day when we will uh, we will be with Jesus in paradise and life will be there for us all. To him who overcomes. The Lord wants you to overcome this morning. You can remember. You can repent. You can reboot. You can overcome. He wouldn't say this. He wouldn't say to him who overcomes if it was impossible for you to overcome. God will never ask you to do something that you cannot do in his strength. So this morning, let's remember, let's repent, let's reboot, and let's overcome. Shall we pray? Let's pray.